Thank you, Jim. Well, good morning again. We are beginning a new series today on the book of Proverbs. Uh, it's going to be our summer series. Um, you say, how are you going to preach through Proverbs? That's a great question. Um, there's actually a lot of themes that bubble up out of the many Proverbs, and so we'll be tackling those themes one at a time. But today, we're going to kind of be in an introductory phase to the book. Um, I don't know if any of y'all knew, but the movie Aladdin is coming out. I think it's this summer. Am I right about saying that's probably already out in the movie theater? I don't follow. I don't even know who dies in the end game yet, so don't follow that stuff. But in any case, uh, there's a movie Aladdin coming out this summer, and the movie Aladdin has this, this main character, a fellow by the name of Aladdin. He's a young boy, and he ends up marrying the princess of the of the land. And uh, but before he marries the young princess, he finds this lamp. And in the, he rubs the lamp, and then the genie pops out of the lamp, and the genie gives him the opportunity to grant three of his wishes. And so he spends a lot of time thinking about what it is that he would like to get as the three wishes. If, for example, you found a genie and a lamp, and it popped out and said, I'll give you three wishes, what would you wish for? Money, right? Money. Uh, maybe some money, maybe like a really nice extra house someplace, Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe a nice vehicle. Uh, maybe you would wish for big muscles like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Maybe you would wish for brains like Stephen Hawkins. Maybe you would wish for uh, you know, to be a, some great official like the President of the United States or something like that. You always want to be the President, whatever it may be. But uh, there are lots of things that we wish for. Well, there's a guy in the Bible that was given that same question. What would you like? It's whatever you want. It's, it's, it's open to you. I'll give you whatever it is that you want. And his name was Samson. And so we're going to turn our attention now to 1 Kings chapter 3, and we'll see this occasion where Samson is, is presented with the question, Solomon <laughs> is presented with the question, it's BBS, that's what did it to me. Um, Solomon is presented with the question, what is it that you want? And so Solomon gives his response to God. So let's stand and read from the scriptures today, 1 Kings chapter 3. <clears throat> We'll be reading verses 11 through 13. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. I'm glad somebody was listening this morning already. Here we go. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. You may be seated. Okay, so let's kind of walk through these verses together. But first, before we get to verse 11, I want to backtrack a little bit to verse 2, to the beginning of this whole section to see what precedes, what leads up to Samson. Ugh. Solomon coming up with this answer. If I do it again, just ignore it. You know who I'm talking about. All right. Verse two, the, the people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. So it kind of gives us a little context here that the reason why the people are out making sacrifices is because there's no temple for God. There's no house that has yet been built. David had gotten all the materials together, but he had not built this structure called the temple where the, it would house the Ark of the Covenant and where the people could come and worship and where they could make their sacrifices. And because there was not, this house hadn't been built yet, it says that the people were making sacrifices in high places. So it's up to Solomon to build this thing, verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. So Solomon, just like the people, wants to go and make sacrifices to God. He loves God, just like his father before him had loved God, and so he wants to go make these sacrifices. 
just like his dad had. Verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. Now, I got a map for you here, and it shows Gibeon. It's northwest of the city of Jerusalem. It's up in the mountains. That's why they were up in the high places, right? They were up in the high places making these sacrifices to God. Um, and so it's Solomon has a dream while he's there, it says. Apparently, he falls asleep, and here's what happens in his dream. He has an encounter with God. God asks him, ask what I shall give you. In other words, I'm the genie in the lamp. Here I come. Whatever it is that you want, I will give it to you. Solomon, what is it that you want? What can I do for you? Verse 6, Solomon says, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, that is to my dad, because he walked before you in faithfulness. Now I want to stop right there for a second and note that the Bible just called Solomon's father David faithful. Now, we all know that David wasn't perfect. We all know that David made a lot of mistakes. In fact, in fact, David made some really big mistakes, and yet the Bible calls David faithful. And so I just want to point that out this morning, that there's a difference between being faithful, what the Bible calls faithful, and what the Bible calls as perfect. Perfection left the earth 2,000 years ago and hasn't been around since. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. But for you and I who make mistakes, sometimes big mistakes in life, we can still be found faithful. What was it that made David faithful? It's because he owned his mistakes. It's because David didn't try to hide it. David didn't try to ignore it. David didn't try to brush it under a rug someplace. David took responsibility for it. He owned it. He admitted it. He owned up to it and, so, and repented of it and then tried to do right from there forward. And because of that, the Bible is able to call David faithful. Just thought I'd point that out. Continuing on. So he says, because my father David walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you, and you, God, have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son, this is Solomon talking, you've given him me, to sit on his throne this day, verse 7, and now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant Solomon king in place of David my father, because my dad has now died, and I've taken on this role as the king, even though I am but a little child. Now, was Solomon a little child when he became king? No, Solomon was actually 20 years old when he became king of the nation of Israel. You say, well, why does he call himself a little child? Well, it's because he feels inadequate for the task. He doesn't feel up to the challenge. And so Solomon's saying how he feels. He says, I feel like a little child stepping into this role. He says, I don't know how to go out or how to come in. I don't feel up to it. It would be very similar to you and I being appointed as the president of the United States at the age of 20. Can you imagine a 20-year-old being the president of the United States or the president of some great country or the prime minister of some great country? I mean, that's a lot of responsibility to put on somebody at a really young age. And so that's how Solomon is feeling. Verse 8. He says, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, millions of them that I'm to oversee, too many to be numbered or counted. Again, he's just stating why he feels apprehensive about taking on this role. Verse 9, so for these reasons, God, I'm asking you, please give your servant an understanding mind so that I may govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this great people. I mean, this is a huge responsibility that's been given me. This is a huge task that's being given to me. How am I supposed to do this unless I have a discerning mind, unless I have wisdom? You've heard people say of some young people that, you know what, that young person is wise beyond their years. You've heard that saying before, and you probably have noted some young people over the course of your years of life that you would say, you know what that person is? They're wise beyond your years. And so that's what Solomon's asking for here. He's asking to be, be made wise beyond his years. Um, verse 10, here is God's response. So Solomon makes his ask. I want wisdom. I want discernment. Verse 10, 
It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, verse 11. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or for riches or for the life of your enemies, but instead have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, because you've asked not for all those other peripheral things, but you've asked for wisdom. Verse 12, behold, I now do according to your word. That is, I'm going to grant you what you asked for. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, such that none like you has ever been before. You will be the wisest, you will be the most celebrated king in the history of the world up till now, Solomon. There'll never have been, like everybody will talk about your wisdom and how it's so much greater than everybody that had ever come before you. But not only that, for the end of verse 12, it says, none shall arise after you. No kings will arise after you who will match your wisdom. This will be your reputation, Solomon, for the rest of time, for the rest of human history. People will look to the name of Solomon and say that was the wisest king ever in the history of the world. And because he didn't ask for riches, and because he didn't ask for Samson-like strength, and because he didn't ask for increased lands or ask for fame and notoriety, but he asked for wisdom, because of that, verse 13, God says, I'm going to give you also all those other things. I'm going to give you, he says, riches and honor, that is notoriety, so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. Worked out pretty good for Solomon, didn't it? Um, he asked for wisdom, and then he ended up, because he asked for wisdom, he got all those other things. Um, I don't know if any of y'all were listening to the radio yesterday morning, but I was on WSB. I really was, wasn't I? One of our church members heard me. Um, I called into the, to the uh, Walter Reeves show. I had this magnolia tree out in front of my house, and it was bugging me, and it had not been looking really good. And so I called him up, and I said, hey, look, should I chop this thing down, or should, what do I do to it? And he's like, no, it's no problem. What's going on? You just need to throw some fertilizer out there. It'll be okay. Well, Walter Reeves is a very wise man, isn't he? And so I thought, well, I'll call up Walter Reeves. He knows a lot more than I do about bushes and trees and things. And so I got some good advice from him about what to do about this magnolia tree. I said, Walter, how long is it going to take for me to get this magnolia tree going again? He said, oh, about one or two years. <laughs> Not exactly what I was looking for, but nevertheless, we'll get, that, we'll get that tree going. But anyhow, wisdom is a great thing. And Solomon knew, hey, look, if I tap into this source of wisdom, if I ask God, the great God of the universe, if I ask him for wisdom and he grants me wisdom, it's, it's the thing that would be better than any of the other things I could possibly ask for. It'll get me further in life. It'll help me accomplish more. And so Solomon realized that. He viewed it as a treasure. And so Solomon asked for wisdom. All right. Well, that's our treatment of this text for today. And so that means it's time for us to ask our most important question. What difference does all this make? To my life. You say, Gordon, I mean, I'm happy for Solomon. I'm glad that you're going to know what to do with that magnolia tree out in front of your yard, but what difference does any of this make to my life? How does this help me this summer with all my plans? Well, really great question. Let's see if we can answer that. Um, what makes wisdom so valuable? What makes wisdom something that it's greater than Samson-like strength, something that's greater than, than riches, something that's greater than uh, possessing lands and having great fame. I mean, those things could get you really far in life too. Why didn't Solomon ask for those? I mean, what makes wisdom so much better than all the rest? Well, as human beings, we have, a, I'm going to give you two reasons. As human beings, we have a thirst for happiness, don't we? We like to get in that sweet spot of life, and we like to be able to live in that sweet spot of happiness. We hate it when we get melancholy. We hate it when things start going, going against us and not going our way. We like to be happy, right? 
And so we do all sorts of things to try and bring happiness into our experience of human life. For athletes, they try to break records, right? They try to win races, and hopefully that keeps them happy, keeps them elevated in their mind. And corporate executives may try to find climbing the ladder. The corporate ladder is a way to get happiness. Gamblers may try to find happiness in Vegas. Intellectuals may try to find happiness by publishing some work or some book. A pastor tries to find happiness in trying to grow their church. Really, we do. Um, they do. Believe me, they do. I get together with pastors at pastors' conferences. Hey, how are you? How big is your church? I mean, that's the kind of thing that goes on because everybody's trying to think that, hey, that's where happiness is going to come. Um, a musician tries to find happiness by selling millions of records. Sources where human beings try to find happiness apart from God, they abound. We try to find them in drugs. We try to find them in sex. We try to find them in a suntan. We try to find them in alcohol. We try to find them in exercise. We try to find them in television. We try to find happiness in so many external sources. But what we find is that when we're out there hunting for happiness, that, that happiness that we find, breaking that record, climbing that ladder, getting that money, getting that position, really isn't lasting happiness, is it? It's a happiness that's fleeting. You've got to keep bringing some new source in. You've got to do something else. You've got to bring something else to the table to try and keep you in that elevated sweet spot. Well, what Solomon knew is that wisdom will bring true and lasting happiness. It marks the path to true and lasting happiness. That's the first reason why we ought to pursue wisdom is because it marks the path to true and lasting happiness happiness. Second reason why we should seek wisdom is because, number two, it results in godly character. Look at how some of the wise people in the, how the, how the scripture describes some of the wise people in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. So when pride is here, then comes disgrace. But, however, the, with the humble is wisdom. So one of the products, one of the byproducts of being a wise person is this quality, this character trait of humility. The two kind of go hand in hand. You find somebody who's wise, that's somebody who's humble. Here's another example. Flip back over to 1, Corinthians, 1 Kings chapter 3. Right after Solomon, or God grants Solomon this wisdom, there's this episode in the text in chapter 3 where it tells about how there's these two women who come before the king and they've got a baby and one of the, the, both of the women are claiming this little newborn infant baby. And uh, apparently one of the women's child had died and so she's trying to get the baby from the mother who has a living child. And nobody knows, can confirm whose child this is, whose child, who, which mother this belongs to. And so Solomon says, hey, look, take a sword, cut the child in half, and then give each half to the mother's. And so one of the mothers says, fine with me. And then the other mother says, uh, no, 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 wait, please, please, just give the child to the other mother. I don't, I, that's fine. I'd rather that the child live with somebody who's not me and, and be able to, to grow in life than, than be with me. And so Solomon says, hey, look, that's the real mom. The one who was willing to give up her child so that her child could have life. He says, that was, that was, that's the real mom. And then get this, 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 28 says, all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in Solomon to do what? Justice. To do justice. One of the character traits of a person who is wise is that they are a person who is known for their fairness, that they're a person who is known for their justice. How many of us dads in this room know that we need some wisdom so that we can be fair and equitable and just in our parenting of our children. And how many of us moms want to be known by our children as being a person who makes fair, 
wise, just decision. How many of us teachers in here in this room let's say, you know what, I have students that come through my classroom every year, and I have opportunities every day where I have to make decisions and discern what's the fair and the just thing to do here. How many of us employers have employees that we need to have a sense of fairness and we need to have discernment to be able to identify when we're you know, getting fed a bunch of lies or when somebody's shooting straight with us, when we're supposed to show grace versus when we're supposed to you know, uh, hold people to account. We want to have a reputation of being a just and fair employer. So friends, when we get wisdom, it gives us true and lasting happiness. And second, it gives us godly character and infuses us with humility and infuses us with a sense of discernment, with a sense of justice. So we can probably all agree that wisdom is worth having. The question now remains, and this is what I want to spend the balance of the rest of my time on, is how then do I get wise? How then do I possess wisdom. I mean, is it just something for kings? Is it just something God reserves for people like Solomon in this world? Or is it something that God says, hey, yeah, I'll give to anybody who's willing to get wisdom? And the answer to that question, that second question is, of course, God wants all of us to be wise. God wants to share his wisdom with all of us. It's not an exclusive thing for certain people. It's not for people who God comes along and sprinkles magic fairy dust on top of. It's something that all of us can obtain. It's something that all of us can possess. So the question is then, how do we get wise? How do we get wisdom? Um, I got five steps for you. And I'll move quickly through these. No, number one, uh, if you want to get wise, you got to want it. You got to desire it. It has to be a passion. It has to be a longing inside of you. Um, talking about wisdom, Proverbs chapter four and verse eight says, prize her, that is wisdom, highly, and she will exalt you you, she will honor you if you embrace her. Friends, to prize something means that you hold it as a treasure. It means that it is something that you hold as in high regard, that you prize wisdom as better than riches, as better than fame, as better than lands, as better than strength, as better than God's hand against your enemies. I want wisdom more than I want any of those other things. I prize it. And so if you do that, the Bible says she will honor you. Your mind will be stretched. Um, your heart will be enlarged through that sort of wisdom. And if you want it, as Proverbs 2 and verse 4 says, more than silver, and you search for it as for a hidden treasure. In other words, it's just making that emphasis that this stuff is greater than silver. It's greater than gold. It's greater than what the world would say. Hey, here's something to be prized. Here's something that's precious. The Bible says wisdom is greater than any of those. Second, if we want wisdom, we must apply ourselves in study and meditation of the word of God. Psalm 19 and verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And get this, the testimony of the Lord, that is the Bible, is sure, making wise the simple. Friends, we have to devote ourselves to know and understand the Bible. And let me add to that, to also reading great books of theology, people who have distilled the information of the Bible in ways that you and I can connect with, relate to, and understand. You say, Gordon, I got, a pro I got a question for you here. How am I supposed to read great books of theology? 
I don't have time for that. That's why I come to church on Sunday morning. I want for you to read the great books of theology, and then I get to come in here in an hour, and I get to, you know, reap the results of your study during the week. Well, I mean, that's one way of looking at it. But let me, as I was kind of thinking about this, they did a little bit of math. It's kind of my nerdy side coming out. So y'all bear with me here for a second. I got a slide for you here. If you want wisdom, if you want to be able to dig into the great uh, books of the uh, uh, great books of theology and 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 tap into some of that. I got a little method for you here. If you were to, you know, average person reads about 250 words a minute. Okay, you sit down, you read. That's kind of on average what most folks could do. Maybe do a little bit faster. Maybe do a little slower. We'll use that as our benchmark though. 250 words a minute. If you do 250 words a minute and you read for 15 minutes a day, here's let's put all this put this together. Okay, and we'll we'll, we'll work with that. So um, if we have 365 days in the year, and you were to read 15 minutes a day, 365 days a year, read 15 minutes a day, uh, that would amount to 5,475 minutes of reading over the course of a year. So I'm just going to read great books of theology just 15 minutes a day. Put it in a little bite-sized amount. In one year, 365 days, you would read 5,475 minutes, if you take that 5,475 minutes and you multiply it by the 250 words per minute that you read, that would mean that over the course of a year, you would read 1,368,750 words in the course of a year. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Words in the course of a year. Multiply that times, uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, got into something else there. Now, most books have been between 300 and 400 words on a page, okay? So if you say, I'm going to read 1,368,750 words in a year, and there's on average 300 to 400 pages per words on a book. It's getting a little dizzy here, even for me. All right, so what you do then is you take the 1,368,750 words per year that you're going to read, you divide that by the average words per page of 350, and that leads to 3,910 pages per year that you could read if you would just read for 15 minutes a day. Now, the average book, you take that into account, that means that you'd be reading somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 books per year, because you're reading 3,910 pages per year. So you'd be reading somewhere around 20 books per year if you just spent 15 minutes a day reading those great works of theology or church leadership or whatever your particular subject matter. So my point is that if you were to do this for a year, you would come back into this sanctuary next year and you would not be the same person as you were this time next year. You would have imparted a lot of wisdom. Your zeal would become more fervent. Your heart would be more enlarged. You would, be, you would, be, you would have grown in wisdom. And it may not be long until somebody says of you, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 4, the words of his or her mouth are like deep waters because you read 15 minutes a day and spent time with God's Word. They would call you a fountain of wisdom, a bubbling brook. Wouldn't that be wonderful people to say of you because you spent a little time that really would have gotten wasted anyway, sitting, reading, great wisdom. Third thing that we should do to get wisdom is to pray. You know, Solomon wasn't born wise. Did you know that? We always think of Solomon as the wise man, right? We think he was born wise, but we just saw here in 1 Kings chapter 3 that he was not born wise. He had to ask God for it. Um, and so James chapter 1 and verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. This, again, is not, wisdom is not something exclusive for people like Solomon of this world. 
but it's for any of us. And the Bible makes us the promise that God will give you wisdom, even if it's in a particular situation where you need it, that if you want wisdom, God will give it to you. You just like Solomon have to ask for it. So we need to spend some time on our knees asking God for it. Step four, to get wisdom is to keep in mind your own mortality. If you want to get wise, you need to keep in mind your own mortality. You say, Gordon, how in the world is keeping in mind my own mortality going to make me wise? Well, uh, that's a good question. When we keep in view the shortness of life and the infinite length of the next life, we tend to make better decisions. I mean, think about people who give, go to the doctor and they get a bad diagnosis, right? And they say, hey, you've got six months to live. Doesn't that shift all of their priorities? And so that's why the psalmist says, Psalm 90 and verse 12, so teach us to number our days. Why? So that we may get a heart of wisdom. Friends, there's hardly a priority, there's hardly a thought towards sin that would not be purged out of our life if we, if we kept in view how short our time on this world is. All of our priorities would be set right in line the way they ought to be in line if we keep in view our own mortality, if we keep in view, as the Bible commanded, the number, the short number of our days. Fifth and finally, if you want to get wise, we must come into a personal relationship with Jesus. Speaking about himself, Jesus reminds us, he compares himself with Solomon, and he says, Matthew 12 and verse 42, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon way back when. And behold, something or someone, Jesus himself, greater than Solomon is here. Paul seizes on this when he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24, he says that Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, friends, while Solomon spoke about God's wisdom, Jesus is God's wisdom. That's what that verse tells us. While evangelists like Billy Graham have pointed the way to, the way to life, Jesus is the way and the life. While theologians down through the ages have spoken truth, Jesus is the truth. While politicians and great world leaders have made promises, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. While others teach about the forgiveness of sin, Jesus bought the forgiveness of our sins on the cross. Therefore, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3, my last verse, Colossians 2 and verse 3, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Friends, you can keep in mind your own mortality. You can read all the wonderful books and spend your 15 minutes a day. You can spend time in quiet meditation and prayer and ask God for wisdom. You can desire wisdom like silver or gold, but apart from a relationship from, with Jesus Christ, you will never possess true wisdom. You may possess the wisdom of the world from reading books, but you'll never have God's eternal wisdom. And that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Something for you to think about. Let's bow our heads together with prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this vision of our life, uh, for setting in front of us this most precious of all the gifts, Lord, that we could ask for, or all the things that we could want in this life. God, we ask that you would put in our heart that desire for wisdom, that you would put in our spirit um, a hunger, a longing to want to be people of wisdom, to want to be people like the scriptures spoke about who are bubbling brooks of wisdom, people whom the world says are, who have deep waters. 
uh, passing through their mind and through their heart. Lord, we ask in this quiet time this morning, if there's any of us here that have not entered into that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Lord, that we admit that we have a sin problem like David did, that we confess that sin before you, and that we ask you, Lord Jesus, to wash our hearts clean. And Lord, you said that if we do that, you said that if we do that, we can have eternal life with you in heaven, Lord. And that is the beginning of the fountain of wisdom bubbling up inside of each of us. Lord, for those of us that have made that decision for Jesus, we ask again, Lord, that you would just impart your discernment, impart your understanding to us. As we move through this summer, Lord, and talking about wisdom and looking at your Proverbs, God, make us a people who are wise. May the people around our church and in our community say that is a church full of wise, discerning Lord, we thank you for your broken body. We thank you for your shed blood, which makes all these things possible. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.